All right. So we got Kara Newhart here. We connected, what, about, I guess, a year and a half ago professionally, and we stayed in touch. We're super stoked to have you on the podcast. DIY queen, owner of Never Skip Brunch. Yes. Interior designer. We're so happy to have you on. I know our listeners are going to really get a lot of value. Why don't you go ahead and just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background on where you've been and kind of where you are today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Windy, windy path, but I'll try to keep it brief. So basically grew up working with my dad in construction, like around power tools, went to college for business. So started out in oil and gas finance and then decided to quit that and become a fashion blogger, which is hilarious. Like if you scroll back, the outfits are so bad, so bad. But that was my first segue into like a creative role and then did one post about home stuff. And finally realized like, hey, I have an audience that wants to hear about this. So then it was like DIY tutorials, kind of just sharing the process of renovating my house by myself. And now it's turned into like a whole thing. I have a podcast. I do DIY tutorials, but really just trying to help people take charge of their own spaces. And the new project is an Airbnb that I'm renovating. It's like an 1840s dumpster fire. It's so bad but flipping it and going to make it really, really cool. And yeah, that's the five second scoop, I think. So so how long ago did you start this on social media? Oh my gosh. It's probably been five years now, I want to say from like the first, I should go back and look because it's every year it's like longer and longer, but probably five years. But yeah, definitely like very windy and very like just started on Instagram throwing up like outfit photos. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And the reason I ask is because the algorithm surely has shifted over the last five years. And I know it's been much easier to grow if you started five years ago organically. Where have you seen that switch? Where's that shifted to? And how have you had to change your content to consistently stay at top of mind for your audience? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like Instagram is like the Frankenstein of social platforms. Like they just take whatever's working for anyone else and tack it on. Like you got stories from Snapchat. You got reels from TikTok. You got everything from everywhere else. And I think every time they add a new feature, you jump on it while everyone else is scared to do it. Like video, everyone was like real scared to do video because photos you could like edit, you could curate, and you were showing like your highlight reel. And video was very like raw. Like you don't get to put a filter on necessarily. I mean, you do now, but not at first. And so whatever like was the new thing that they were like, rolling out, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it scared before anyone really knows how to do it well. And that has always worked for me. I think especially with reels because I caught, I was on TikTok. It was just like a fun thing to do during the pandemic and started making videos over there. And then it was like reels came out. It's like, okay, let's do this. So yeah, trying to be on the forefront of whatever new thing they have going. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Everyone loves a good DIY reel. So yeah, I, I definitely right? so watch longer than most posts. So <laughs> yeah. with that, I know like this is a relatively business related podcast. So yeah. I'd like our listeners and selfishly, I'd like to know a little bit more about the path to monetization. So you go from sure. oil to gas to then a blogger and then you're posting social media on DIY stuff. Like what is the path to monetization there and how are you actually able to make money and generate business revenue from this stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's a weird world because it's literally like the wild west. I think I had kind of an upside because I like went to business school and I'm very business minded and like entrepreneurial. But when I first started, it was because I kind of realized like you could make money. Like I had a friend that was a photographer in Dallas doing photo shoots with influencers and she was like, brands are paying them like lots of money to put on cute outfits and take photos. And I'm like, I could do that. This sounds like a dream job. Like, let's try it. 
But there's many different buckets for what I do. I think influencing, you have like brand deals where you're aligning with Home Depot or, you know, furniture companies or whoever, basically paying you to create content and post to your audience, which is amazing because they used to have to do like a whole studio, right? You'd have to pay a set designer and a lighting designer and someone to style the space and someone to install things. And so instead of 100K, they could pay me like a lot less to do the same work. And it's still a great deal for me. So brand deals is like a big bucket. You also have affiliate income. So monetizing, obviously, anytime someone buys from a link that you're recommending a product, you can get commission. You can monetize direct to your audience if you're selling things. I don't do a lot of that, but we do have like DIY boxes to kind of like try out different tools or get different products that you might not know you could love. And then I have a journal that I wrote that's like all about how to get clear on what you want out of your space. So that's the main three buckets on like the influencer side. And then me personally, I have like the real estate that I'm trying to get cranking because I realized it's like we got to put all this money into something that isn't a brand based on me where if I don't show up, I don't make money. So yeah, that's my, it's like phase two. It's like, where do we, what do we build that I can like step away from? That's great. What was the point where, so you started in the oil and gas space that was connected through some, I think you said your, your, your dad, where was that inflection point where it made sense to pretty much burn the boats and hop into this world? Like, when did you know, and what was that process and that transition like for you personally and professionally? It never makes sense, honestly, especially that field, like the money is so good. And it's so like secure that leaving you just you sound crazy no matter like when you decide to do it. I think for me, it's like it was always in the back of my mind that that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. I think I did it because it was safe and recommended. But like even through college, I like minored in art because there was like a weird creative artsy piece of me that always knew I was supposed to be doing something else. But yeah, I had moved to Denver for a boy. I had left instead of taking my dream job that I was offered like two different jobs in Houston. I gave those up and moved to Denver. So it like wasn't even my dream job. So it was very easy to be like, I'm out, like, (laughs) never mind. But yeah, it was a risk. And it was weird because it's like whatever I thought I was going to make money doing was like nowhere close. Like at one point I was doing like photography shoots. Like I taught myself how to do photography and was like literally doing headshots for people. Like it's just windy, windy path when you're in a creative industry because things are so cyclical and so based on like, how you develop and present your skills, how you're going to make money. So, and then you learn like, oh, I actually hate this and I don't want to (laughs) take photos of people and try to get them to pose and look normal. And I'd rather just be talking or doing a project or painting or. Yeah. yeah. So what did those early years look like when you made the leap? What did those early years look like business wise and how has that evolved? And and what what are some things now that you're doing that you weren't doing back when you originally started and and, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah, I think definitely no money was like there was not <laughs> a lot of money happening. Right. I also think because of social media, I was really like and being an entrepreneur, I think you really look to other people to figure out like what to do. And so looking for mentors on the inter- internet and then kind of it's like I built the business backwards. I had like the website and the name and all the stuff and then I figured out like what I was doing, which is not like a normal way to build a business. Normally you have like a whole business plan and marketing's your like round two. But I like to say I built the buzz before the business because I didn't really know how I wanted to make money. And I think that's the funny thing is like there's a million ways to make money. Like there's a million things you could do that would be really profitable. 
but you have to find the thing that's like in your zone of genius so that it's going to be very efficient for you to show up and do it every day that you're passionate about and that it's like sustainable because if you burn out like you go down there's no money so yeah it was like a trial and error process of figuring that out i think yeah i love that so so for people getting started with the nature of social media, specifically Instagram being so hard to grow organically right now, and they might not have a yeah. lot of money to invest into a team. Like, how do we get started on the influencing space? I know that you want to build the buzz before the monetization as well, so that you have a following to actually sell to. Yeah. You know, what does that look like? What What are some baby steps that people can take today with not much runway in the bank? Yeah, I think it's like the best time ever because while it's like hard to grow because everyone's able to grow. Like the type of content in terms of production quality, it doesn't have to be insane. Like honestly, the more organic feeling like in your bedroom doing a video, like oftentimes does better than high production quality content. And it builds you an audience that is like feels more connected to you. It's one thing to have a viral video. It's another for that to actually convert into followers and then followers that are like here for you. Cause you can go viral for like all the wrong reasons. Like I've gone viral for building a deck in my backyard and all of the men that work in construction were just like angry about how I built it but they didn't like follow me that's not my target audience those aren't people that are like connected like oh we're really excited about what she's going to do next they're just like what is happening like who is this girl and they're just you know looking for something to I don't know I don't really know why they're there honestly but Yeah. So going viral, I think it's like balancing how you're looking at your numbers, like looking at the analytics to inform your decisions, but also realizing like a million views, there's different kinds of million views. There's a million views that didn't do anything for your business. And there's a million views on a video that could build you like a raving fan base that is going to like snowball into something else. That process is trial and error, but the best way to do that is like actually talking to people, actually like paying attention to the comments and the DMs and seeing like, what are people saying about what I'm trying to do? And then like, yeah, what is that telling me? So it's kind of like a look at the numbers and look at the like more, I don't know, anecdotal kind of stuff and really get a clear picture of like what's working and then just rinse and repeat, like do that same video style again and again until it's not working. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. So you had alluded to earlier that you're focused on real estate to kind of get rid of this key person problem that you have, right? Because if you're not yeah. making content, if you're not doing things, you're not making money over time, right? I'm right. sure there's a little bit of passive income in it, but that can only last so long if you're done with your social media stuff. So right. for those of you that don't understand the key person problem, it, it it gives you a cap of how much you can grow because you or somebody needs to be there all the time. And so what Kara's trying to do is replace herself inside of her portfolio so that there's always income coming in. So tell us a little bit about that problem that you you had initially didn't know you had. Once you realized that you had it, what are some steps that you started to take to break through that cap on growth? Yeah, I think it was just the nature of building a personal brand is that everything is built around you and you can build a team and like you can go very far and build an incredibly successful business with a whole team in place that is supporting you, but you are still like the key piece. And so I think it's not to say that that business is not a good business. It's to say that like you need to diversify like any good business will is that you're not going to put everything in your basket of showing up every day. 
you're going to take the money that that's generating and allocate it other places that can grow without you. So for me, that looks like real estate because it fits so naturally into what I'm doing. I'm honestly like exhausted from doing all these projects. And so it's like, I will still do key ones and I will still do like things I want to do and the fun projects, but I'm starting to outsource. Like there's people coming in for demo. I don't think I ever need to do a whole room of drywall again. Like I've proven to myself I can do it. So now we're going to hire a team and I can still educate about that. But it's kind of finding like something that can align with your business that there's kind of like a synergy, right? So you're not necessarily building something to like two different things that are totally siloed. I think having kind of that synergy where they can align and you can kind of use shared resources makes more sense. It's more efficient, especially if you have a smaller team, because I don't have that many people that work with me. But yeah, it's that's the fun thing about business is everything is like cycles and phases. And so as you're kind of reaching the peak of a personal brand, which I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm like eyes down the road, like that's coming and this won't last forever. And I think I really saw that this past year, like with the economy, brands suddenly were like, oh, we're just going to like press pause on things and not do any deals right now. And so there was like a dry spell where it was like you went from making like thousands a month to like, oh, just nothing right now. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like we need something stable as well. So, what yeah. is that? What does your team look like? You know, how's your team evolved over over time and what does it look like today? Yeah. So my people are all like contractor based. I think being very independent, I attract other people that are independent. So right. I have like a podcast manager, I have a brand manager who does my brand deals, which I really enjoyed and loved that piece of it and thought like I'm a pretty good negotiator, but it was just nice to have that off my plate. I have a virtual assistant who's based overseas, who is amazing. I have, and then just kind of like people for jobs here and there, like video editors occasionally. I kind of like to hire as I need it and then just have like a few key people in place. So, what, yeah. so talk about these brand deals. What, what are some things like, what are some uh, maybe like common mistakes you see young entrepreneurs make in, in your space and and some, maybe some examples or, or just some stories that you have in regard to some of that? Like what do those yeah. brand deals look like? How can you get screwed over on one? You know? What's oh my gosh. About? So many ways. Some of the contracts <laughs> I get. And I'm like, I literally, my job before this in oil and gas was a land man. Like it's that old school that my title was land man. But I was doing like contracts with landowners to lease mineral rights. So I did a lot of like paralegal work and new contracts pretty well. And so when brand deals started coming in, I felt very comfortable like negotiating those because it was like same structure, different lingo kind of thing. But it's really hard to watch like people that are just here to be creative and just have built like a huge audience and then start getting brand deals and they're just, they don't know what they don't know. And so brands come in with this contract. They're just so excited, like either to work with that brand or because they see the money and people like sign their life away. Like people sign permanent rights to their content. Like the mm. liability in this con these contracts is insane. Like most of the brands, it's like if you, most of the larger brands, at least like if my ad for a brand's product Somebody buys the product and then is harmed by the product, I could be liable. Which in no like the brand should have liability. It's their product. I never touched it. I just like showed it and sent a link. So it's stuff like that. And it gets very nuanced. But that's one thing I'm really passionate about in this space is helping people realize like you need to find someone that can do this for you, or you really need to educate yourself. 
because brands can take advantage of you. And there are some amazing brands, like there's some that I just know, like they have creators in mind and they are very intentionally, like they have great contracts that are very mutual, but there's a lot of brands that don't. So that's rough to watch, but yeah. Can you walk us through your biggest brand deal and how that that transpired, what that looked like, what that whole process was? Yeah. I don't know that I can name the brand because of confidentiality, but it is like a long-term contract. So like I signed up to do like seven long form videos over the course of like seven months, like one a month. So like I would plan a project, I would create a whole project, create the video, and then you send for a review. That one was a partner I had worked with a lot before. So we had a really good established working relationship. And that's really the best way to get big contracts is go for long term. Because a lot of brands, I guess there's like two ways to do it. Either they have big campaigns like their spring sale or their spring campaign. And so they're going to get like a ton of influencers to all be on this campaign posting a similar message around a similar date. And you have a big budget you allocate through all of that. Same thing with like launches. If a company is launching a new product or you just have kind of brands that are just working with influencers evergreen. So just ever every time they have something that comes up that could be a fit, they'll reach out to you. And so that's where I found I've made the most money because it's like there's that loyalty factor. I think being in corporate, I knew how to like write an email, which is like so silly, but it's like that like locks you in. It's like, okay, you're like a reliable creator that when we have our next brand, I guess this is for like PR companies because there's like a PR company in the middle a lot of times that has a ton of brands on their roster. And so it's like we can just go down the line like, okay, she killed it on this brand and this product. And now we have this one that could be a fit. And we have analytics from the past campaign and like a sample to be like, here's this girl and here's what she can do. So it is just like a process of proving yourself and I think as close as you can stay in those relationships by not fully outsourcing early. I know a lot of people get managers and then never talk to brands directly. I I don't love that. I mean, I know that if it's not your skill set, you know, there's something to be said. But I think that direct communication just builds better for you long term. So, totally. yeah. Well, so what is your... Yeah. What does your week to week look like? What are some of the projects you, you like working on now? And, and what is, I know you travel a lot or you have traveled yeah. a ton in the past. What is like the day to day, the week to week look like for you? It's like all over the place. So it's like you're shooting content, you're filming it, you're, so you could go from like trying to have your face on shooting a video to like in the trenches doing something like getting all dirty. And it just depends because you're on a lot of these campaigns have like due date cycles where it's like we want, content shot and edited for review by this date. We want it to go live this date. So you have all these campaigns you're kind of trying to sync up. And so I try to do like shoot days where I'm like on camera, put my face on. And then I try to do like work days where I'm just kind of like plowing through doing projects with time lapses. And then now it's like a lot of other stuff. So like managing people coming in to do work on the house, shooting podcast episodes. I really just try to batch everything Because I feel like it's easier to like have a dedicated day where you just like do the same thing for three hours. It feels more efficient to me. I'm very distractible. So switching tasks, I like wait, I'm way more inefficient. So, but yeah, it's all over the place. It's, you have to like really motivate yourself and prioritize. And that's the trickiest part is because like the mountain of work is never going to get smaller. It actually gets 
way bigger as you go down the line. And so it's learning like to pick your top three or top four tasks and knock those out and then like work on what you want to work on kind of thing. Cause it'll, yeah, never go away. Yeah. Pe- people think entrepreneurship's all rainbows and butterflies. Specifically, right. they see personal branding and influencing and think that it's easy. Right. A lot of time it's one person running the show and the amount yeah. of delegation that you have to do as you scale is, is incredible. Yeah. And if you're not feeling great that day, like you still have to show up or else you're not getting paid or else right. like, things aren't getting done. Yeah. So tell us about your vision. Like, how are you, I know that the, the real estate, like what's the vision over the next five, 10 years to make sure that you're creating quote unquote, some sense of stability and making sure that this thing you're capitalizing on this opportunity to give you long-term sustainable success. Yeah. I feel like my vision is just like build a whole empire. It's like, I want an education piece, which so far is the podcast, but could become a course to really help people like take charge of their houses. I think for me, it's like looking at an interior design industry that's been gatekept and helping people be like, I can do this. Like I can do this myself. And I've had that spirit the whole time. So I want other people to know how like rewarding that is. So yeah, huge education piece through content and that we're just going to ride till it's dead. And I never think it will be dead. I think it just evolves. Like there will always be content. And then, yeah, the real estate, I really love like Airbnbs and like bespoke kind of experiences, like the ability to create really unique spaces. But I kind of want to parlay that into like a, I don't know, almost like the new showroom. If you think about it, if you're going to buy a fridge, right, you go to the store and you open it and you don't really ever get to like live with it and try it out. But I think having like a ton of Airbnbs or like a boutique hotel would also be really fun. And kind of like product placement that's super aligned that's like you can go live with it and see if you want to buy it. And there's QR codes places so you can scan it and see like how the room was made or a story about the house or buy the product and the link is right there. So trying to innovate in that way. I think that's huge, the next level for the Airbnb industry as a whole, because I think there's a ton of revenue that's left on the table from like recommending the coffee shop down the street, recommending the couch that they have in the house like and there's no formal system to do that and so my influencer side is like oh i've done this online for years like how do we bring it into a physical space i don't know how to do that at scale so it'll just be mine what i think is so what i think is so cool about what you have going on is that you have this long-term vision of obviously creating wealth and creating this and creating you know a lot of passive income and wealth across the board but yeah. You're what you're doing day to day that's kind of driving the revenue in your business is in alignment with exactly what you're building, right? So like you go right. and buy some of these properties you're going to use for Airbnb, but all the while you're still able to leverage your skills, advertise those skills, collaborate with brand deals and on as you're continuing to build this empire so to speak, you're you're able yeah. to also just double down on on your skills and advertise that almost. And so it's like a double leverage, double revenue generator, essentially, as you continue to grow your personal wealth, you're able to also grow your business. It's pretty cool. Right. That's the plan is like, we got to be so efficient if we're doing it mostly by ourselves. Otherwise you can't really scale in a tangible way. And I know that doesn't work for everyone. Like some people work better in cycles where it's like spend five years doing one thing and then get Mm. so burned out and sick. We're like jumping ship to another industry and doing something totally different. But I think for me, I found something where it's like structured enough that I can stay on the same track for years, but creative enough where I have flexibility. I don't feel like I'm doing the same thing every day or the same thing all the time. So yeah, it's kind of like the perfect blend. And that's the fun part about making your own job is 
once you get it right, you literally have built your dream job. So, yeah. What are some kind of DIY 101 fundamental stuff, right? Two meatheads here on the other end of the computer. (laughs) Like what are some common mistakes you see people make just in that space, uh, fundamentally just in design? I got a cactus behind me. I don't know if that passes the test or not, but. No, um. it's so good. I feel like it looks so good with your paint color. Honestly, that's like the bulk of it though, is just seeing something that you're interested in doing and taking the risk to like make it happen and then living with it. And it's a journey. Like I think people think of interior design as like a before and after or DIY is like before and better. It's like, it's actually a journey and there's many, many afters because my afters from two years ago are now like off trend and horrible. So you evolve it with your life and you evolve it with your own style and your skills just grow over time. So I think changing that approach is I see people like locked into the before and after mindset and you're never done. So Kara, I love the way that your brain works. Like Landon alluded to, like that's, he said it so perfectly of just like everything that you're doing is in an alignment with who you want to be down the road. Like every, you chose your industry and you're able to figure out where you want to go horizontal and where you want to go a little bit more vertical at the same time, all in support of that long-term vision. Like right now, starting a sales organization or a a scooter company, just random stuff probably isn't in alignment with what you want to do. You're staying in your lane and doubling down on that. which is super important. We tell all of our clients to do that as well. Uh, So I love that. So as we near the wrap up here, this is called the Consistency Wins Podcast. That is our motto. And so consistency is the word that shows up all the time. For someone in your shoes, I know that consistency is like extremely important. So tell us a little bit more about what that word means to you and how you show up every day and what that looks like. Yeah, I think it is like the fundamental of success. It's like, I mean, the mo- the most basic inspirational quote is all about how showing up, you're going to win even if you have less talent because you showed up. If you have the most talent, but you're burned out and you don't know what to do, like you can't build anything. And that's a lesson I learned the hard way because I just wanted to do the fun stuff or I just kind of, you know, rent really hard when I felt like doing something and then burn myself out and then couldn't show up for weeks. And so consistency is the one constant through any single business is that you have to just show up and you have to repeat the things that are working or pivot and find something and then repeat if it's like not working. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, if you were to boil all of business and all success in business down to one concept, I think it would be consistency because it's the only way to make progress is by doing something and building on it and doing it again. So yeah. Love it. I love it. That's great. So Kara, you have a big Instagram following, big social following across the board. You have your own podcast. Uh, yes. You have your own website. You've, you've got a lot of stuff going on. How about, I mean, if, if you could just tell our listeners how they can connect with you, how they can follow your journey, all the yeah. above. Yeah. Well, if you're here, you're probably a podcast person. So you should come over to Make Space. It's a home design show. It's really fun. I get to interview like insane guests, which is actually why I started it. Cause I'm like, these people will give me an hour of their time when otherwise, like no way they would talk right. to me. So a little bit selfish there. And then if you want like tangible stuff, Instagram, YouTube, I do a lot of like tutorial hands-on, or you can just watch it with your popcorn if you're not going to like ever pick up a tool. But yeah, I want people to like jump in and get dirty and try it out because it's so rewarding in more ways than one. Like you're not going to just have an amazing house. You're going to literally show yourself what you're capable of and stretch your limits and push yourself to grow and learn new things. So that's the goal. But yeah, we should be awesome. friends. So you should come over and say hi. Instagram handle. Is it never skip brunch? Is that the? Yes. Never what's skip the, brunch. What's the story? 
What's the story behind that, by the way, before we wrap yeah, up? So that was the fashion blog. Everyone had like really ridiculous names like Louboutins and something. And so I was like sitting on the couch looking up all these URLs. Everything's taken. I'm like, oh, my stomach growls. And then it was like, OK, let's go to brunch and never skip brunch. I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's cool. And yeah, it's catchy. But now people are like, oh, are you a food blog? Like, no, I eat the food. I don't make the food, but <laughs> easier to spell than my name. So we're keeping it for now. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, well, Kara, it's been awesome having you on. I know our listeners are going to get a ton of value out of this. We're super stoked to to follow your journey and continue to watch you grow. Yeah. You know, thanks for coming on, and, and we're going to have you back on pretty soon here. Oh my gosh, thank you guys. This is so fun. Thanks so much, Kara. Yeah.